Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Lunatics Radio Hour podcast. I'm Abby Branker. I'm here with Alan Kudan. Hello. And today we have something super exciting for you. We interviewed Adam Bashian of Dark Interiors. Adam is an antique stealer, but of the coolest and rarest, most fun things of all time. So it was a blast to interview him, and we can't wait to share it with you. Yeah, I'd say classifying him as an antique stealer is really underselling him. Oh, I mean, I just don't know the right words. Yeah, he's an oddities and curiosities dealer. He's a historian in his own right. He's an actor. He's got a ton to say. It's. It seems like if he was born in a different century... He'd be that guy that rolls the wagon into town and check out my wagon of mysteries. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So before we get into the interview, I wanted to recommend a few things as we do at the beginning of these episodes. The first thing is actually a podcast that Adam recommended to us, by, I believe, off air called The Bowery Boys. And oh, yeah. since he said it, I've been nonstop binging it and it's so cool. So it's these two guys who talk a lot about the history of New York and they deep dive into, you know, the history of the Queensboro bridge or like a really weird cult or whatever, but it's really fascinating. So the Bowery boys, that's a recommendation for you all. I just like that. They have some episodes that are so in tune with certain places. You're actually supposed to put them on as like almost a walking tour. So for instance, you have Washington square park uh, and you can go there and you can put on their episode, which is basically a walking tour and you get this really awesome deep dive into the history of the space and you're actually moving through the space as it's being explained to you right it's it's just a really cool way of interactive storytelling yeah and if even if you're not in new york like there's a lot of other episodes that aren't walking tour centric that are really fun so anyway that's just a little uh light-hearted recommendation i also want to talk about the mercer island murderer by t.a august So it's a book that's actually out February 1st. One of the benefits of this podcast is we actually got an an early copy of the book to read. And I just started, but so far it's really interesting. And it's kind of a combination of, you know, murder, mystery, serial killer type vibe. Mm -hmm. But there's also a ton about the main characters and their family connections and how, you know, this kind of murder brings up other things for them. So it's been really intriguing so far. You know, it's like it's like we all love true crime, right? If you're listening to this, we all love crime and horror and the dark side of things. And it has like it's like that, but it has a, a human element to it, which I love. Would you say that this is an interpersonal familial labyrinth <laughs> that is interspersed with the mystique and charm of a murder mystery? Wow, <laughs> that's that's a very poetic summary. Yeah, I mean, sure. I think that I think that sums it up. And there's actually a second book that's going to be coming out later in the year. So if you're into series, it's a great way to get into that. T.A. August is an independent author. I think it's great to support independent authors. Hey, you're an independent author. I am an independent author. So you can head over to taaugust.com if you would like to get a copy of your own. Again, it's out February 1st, which is probably when most of you are listening to this episode. And they also have these really cute little pins this isn't like related to the book at all but i am a sucker for little enamel pins and and stickers and stuff and they have some listed on their etsy shop so i found them to be charming anyway taaugust.com february 1st look for the mercer island murderer also since we're talking about it so much i'll leave a link in the description of this so you guys can just go right there we'll also leave a link for the bowery boys so you know all of our recommendations will be easy to to find and of course dark interiors so Mm -hmm. Before we get into the episode, before we roll the tape, so to speak, yeah. the only one... All right, because we already did it. We, we already did it. A little peek behind the curtains. Just a quick content warning. We actually talked very briefly with Adam about the representation of sexual assault in horror film. So this is a topic we've absolutely discussed in the past on this podcast. But hearing Adam's fresh perspective on it was really enlightening. Yeah, and Adam also shares his favorite horror films and some true paranormal experiences so it was everything i wanted in an interview okay, we gotta just stop teasing them and gotta right, roll, the tape. Go. roll <laughs> the tape here we go enjoy so hello everyone we are sitting here with adam bashian which i feel like is the interview of the year like a big get for this <laughs> podcast we are such big fans of dark interiors dark dot interiors on instagram adam welcome to the podcast thank you for having me very excited Yeah, we're so excited. So, okay, before we get into all of the wonderful things we're going to talk about, 
at the start of the episode, are there any, like, how would you define dark interiors in one sentence? What's your log line? Um, I usually like to say that dark interiors um, is kind of a harken back to the old classic Wunderkammer or cabinet of curiosity. And I'm trying to encourage people to refine what that is, which was essentially people bringing back relics and and uh, oddities and curiosities from all over the world and you'd create a little museum in your home and it was a cool intellectual practice to do it was great for company and it just shows a worldliness um and i'm trying to make history sexy again in that way mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to get people interested in, in these really cool obscure aspects of nature and history because i love them so much and i've been passionate about it all my life so you know it's something i'm really into and i want to get other people into it as well yeah totally i have to say your instagram page is very exciting and i just like i think i liked a similar account and it suggested it um and it was like such a random happenstance to be like oh cool um yeah i was actually always curious because you know i i didn't know the inception just one day you're like oh my god we have to watch this bone auction every sunday alan calls it the bone auctions (laughs) he's like are you watching the bone auctions again Uh. yeah um but every sunday you have instagram live auctions and obviously you sell um what do you call them antiquities oddities uh you know in other in other ways as well yeah um but i really have to say the sunday live instagram auctions are such like a community event now and we look forward to it and plan around attending it which is really lovely i agree i agree it's really it's grown into something so beautiful and i you know we started doing it because a friend of mine josh who who runs a similar account he, he he deals in taxidermy and he was doing a similar live auction every every sunday as well and he's an old friend. And once COVID hit, you know, um, I'm an actor by trade. So theater shut down completely. I was mid-rehearsals in a show. And I'd always been a dealer on the side of antiques. But mm-hmm. once my show got canceled, I was like, oh, God, like, I really got to double down on, on antique selling now. So um, the Sunday auctions were a great, you know, uh, outlet for that, essentially. Um and the, yeah, but but yeah. the community that's formed out of it, I never would have expected. It's really amazing. Just we have like, you know, regulars and personalities and in such a great little way. Yeah. Yeah. I love um, like all the people that pop up in the chat every week. It's like, you know them, even though you don't know them. And even Alan like knows their Instagram handles just from you saying them out loud, like in the background when we're listening to it. <laughs> Mispronouncing it's like, them out loud. Yeah. yeah. It feels like it really does feel like a community event where you're like, you know, these people are going to be there and that's part of the fun of it. all. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's super fun. You know, I, Abby got me hooked on it as well. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, we, we, we came for the oddities, but we, we stayed for the showmanship. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I, oh, I should say we haven't talked about this. I don't think on the podcast, but the holiday gift that the big holiday gift that I got for Alan was from dark interiors. Oh, wow. It was a 1980 ish or sorry, 1880 ish, um, paradise lost printing. Oh, you got one. Oh, great. Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy. Yeah. I'm, I'm a huge Gustave Dor fan. So to have a, a printed work of one of my favorite novels was just so awesome yeah yeah i have to say i know this adam this is about you but one quick relationship story for you (laughs) Uh, i think it was our first date i was like talking about doran allen like just lifted up his phone and it was his phone background oh and and then you knew it was meant to be yeah Yeah, this will be good yeah (laughs) those illustrations are always i get Mm -hmm. them whenever i can they're just incredible some of the stuff from paradise lost too is, is just so so cool I did an old uh, drawing of, I think it was like Lucifer falling from heaven that was mm-hmm. based off of the door version oh, of it. But awesome. I love that stuff. Yeah, it's great. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. We'd love to see that. Yeah. Um, okay. So for anyone who doesn't know Adam and isn't familiar with Dark Interiors, we're going to do a little icebreaker round so that everyone can get to know who you are. Um, so questions we ask guests, and we I feel like we haven't had guests on in so long, but questions that we usually ask guests, top few favorite horror movies. Okay. Um, d- number one is always Pet Cemetery, the original for me. And, oh, um, right. yeah, I haven't heard that one before. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's my number one. And it, it's one of those movies that I, I watch it every season, every Halloween season. And it mm-hmm. never, the, I get the same feeling from it that I got when I was a little kid watching it for the first time at like 11 or 12. It's, it's a, it's a huge unease and it's such a slow burn movie. Yeah. Um, and book. 
Have you read the book? No, I haven't, unfortunately. But, um, but you know, the the way that that it's all timed out in the movie, and it's quite long too. But it it doesn't feel that long because you're just Mm -hmm. you're truly on the edge of your seat the whole time. So that's always my number one. And I also think the performances in it are quite good. Um, I I love Insidious. I remember Mm. when that came out, and I I saw that with some friends, and and I just thought that was a really edgy new. You know, it kind of broke that other than paranormal activity it broke into that new genre of these really psychological you know not as much gore Mm -hmm. and slasher it was Mm -hmm. really based on on emotions and and playing with fear and i love that i i want to if i'm seeing a horror movie i legitimately want to like leave feeling uncomfortable i don't want to (laughs) be shocked i don't want to be just grossed out you know because i think that's kind of cheap like anybody can gross somebody out if you can really make somebody feel uneasy that's a good horror movie to me. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I also, which maybe you don't expect because we have a horror podcast, but I really <laughs> hate super violent, gratuitous uh, graphic films. Like mm. to me, like I know we talk about this all the time, but the Saw movies besides the Oof. first one are yeah. like not necessary to exist. Like it's just people <laughs> getting hurt. And I understand that there's a cleverness to the first one, but yeah. agree to disagree. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. I, I think horror is much more interesting when you're looking at it through the lens of like fear and how humans fear things and what they fear and how they yeah. respond to fear, you know, and, and that like adrenaline rush you get I in agree. those situations. I, I will say in, in Saw's defense, uh, and I said, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and I've seen every, every Saw movie that did come out, I saw in theaters. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that I, I agree with you to an extent, but the creativity behind yeah. those deaths that you just have to applaud. I mean, yeah, I'm not, yeah, you know, I do, I do. <laughs> yeah, my, it's, it's just insane. I think when I saw, I, I never saw the first Saw movie until this year or 2020, but in whatever it came out, I went to see Saw 5 mm-hmm. and like randomly because my friends were going, went to the theater and this was like in Connecticut where I'm from, not in the a, city. A poor place to start in the franchise. And I like had to drive <laughs> home and, you know, in, in like where I'm from is very, very rural, like, you know, back roads, no, streetlights kind of a thing and i was driving home from the theater and to your point about leaving affected like i was i did not think i was gonna make it home i was just so terrified that like this was it and after that maybe that's why i'm so biased against soft but i was like this movie sucked like this movie was way too much (laughs) but you could argue that's a very uh effective successful horror movie too absolutely (laughs) yeah absolutely she did leave feeling uncomfortable i mean it's a it's a franchise for a reason right yeah, that's right. Yeah, they've made yeah. plenty of money, I'm sure. I, I, I just also want to say that I'm really glad you... We, we usually ask people, you know, a, a few of your top favorite horror movies mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, geez, where do I start? But you're immediately like, no, that's <laughs> Oh, I, yeah, I knew that. That one, ironically enough, the, the other podcast I did I, I, about a year ago is called My Spooky Gay Family, and it's hosted <laughs> by Pissy Miles, who's, A, my best friend since we were kids, but also a very Aww. famous drag queen now. Cool. And I think she asked me the same question. So. <laughs> oh, you were ready to go. So I was ready yeah. to go. Good. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Any mm. other horror movies? Um, I mean, you know, again, to go against you, I'm so sorry, but I do love <laughs> the classic slashers just because I grew up with them. You know, like I, oh, I can yeah. remember nine, ten years old, like like dressing up like Freddy Krueger and, and mm-hmm. drawing him a million times and Jason and, you know, it's just it's it's just part of my fabric of of my childhood. So I, I do love them. As yeah, fucked no. up as that is. Can I curse? No, it's not okay. fucked up. It's not <laughs> fucked up at all. We we actually our last episode was about a nightmare on Elm Street and it's do you know it's based on a true story, first I do. of all? Yeah. Um second of all, yeah, my favorite horror film of all time is Halloween. So I'm not above yeah. the slasher movies. I just torture porn to me is is a different category. I agree. And and you yeah. know what what actually does disturb me is uh I, I cannot take watching ironically, like modern TV. It, it really makes me uncomfortable because it's so gratuitous sometimes, and in weird yeah. like like rape and sexuality yeah. and stuff like that. It just that's more what I can't handle. Like I can watch a guy get his balls chopped off for by you know <laughs> Jason thirty times. That doesn't bother right. me. But but if it's like sort of like if the if the intent is just to make somebody feel like really kind of gross and sad, then it's it doesn't do it for me. You know you got to earn that. So. Yeah, I'm going to go off the rails for a second because this ties really well into... So the episode that came out right before the the week before this episode Mm -hmm. is uh, this whole deep dive into A Nightmare on Elm Street. And Alan and I ended up having this pretty long philosophical side conversation about um, representation of sexual assault in films, specifically in 
like the last house on the left and i don't know if you Oof. have you seen that movie i have yeah that's what are a, your thoughts on that movie i think it's really brutal and and that yeah. was it's movies like that and i know i'm gonna get people to be you know clutch their pearls when i say this but like clockwork <laughs> orange and yeah. and movies mm-hmm. that uh, yeah yeah and i'm gonna sound like a conservative which i'm not but but glorify rape in a sense or glorify yeah. gratuitous sex um and not that I think people are going to necessarily see those movies and commit atrocities, but it, it just, I don't know necessarily what the artistic intent behind that is other than yeah. to just disturb somebody in a bad way. Uh, and and I, use, I use this example sometimes with other people too. Like I could right now sitting here write a scene that will make you feel that uncomfortable. Right. But that's not art to me. That's that's just we know what's going to do that. You know, you take a movie like like Paranormal Activity or Insidious that yeah. can do really great storytelling and and visual aid and truly mentally put you in a different place, mm-hmm. not just make you feel kind of nauseous. You know, so I guess that's totally. that's kind of what how I'd feel to you know about yeah. that. But Last House on the Left, yeah, I mean you got to respect Wes Craven and you got to respect that that's that again was a very cutting edge horror movie for its time and broke a yeah. new mold. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tough one to get through for me. I mean, I'd much prefer, I liked where he went after that. I liked the, the mm-hmm. nightmare on Elm street franchises. I love scream. You know, it's, that's more to me, good horror. Cause you gotta have some fun, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, yeah. No, I think we are totally on the same page. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Something you just said reminded me, um, just, this is honestly following up on our conversation before <laughs> um, how it seems that almost portraying, you know, any kind of sexual violence mm-hmm. in making you uncomfortable, that's almost the default. And it takes like a higher level of storytelling yeah. to tell it in a way that it doesn't make you uncomfortable. Doesn't trigger somebody. Right? Exactly. Like, like yeah. for instance, we watched um, the movie porno. Mm. Have you seen this one? No, 2018? I no. It's it was like a Fangoria slash Shutter uh, production. Okay. Um. So it's it's very like good and modern and you know fun. Yeah. But yeah. So this movie, the the main antagonist is a succubus, oh, okay. um, and go, going after like these teenagers that work in a, a movie theater in a movie theater. Yeah. Mm. Um. And it's such a fun film. I was oh, really cool. hesitant about it because, yeah. you know, similar to most people that are sane, um, <laughs> I don't respond well to sexual violence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this movie was so fun. Yeah. Super great. It, and everyone should check it out. Right. All of that oh, is cool. to say there's a way to do it where it's tasteful and has a point and isn't, you know, exploitative mm-hmm. of, of everybody. Right. right. I think that's yeah. the right word. Exploitative. Yeah. Um, yeah. That I just said like i was chewing on marbles but yeah <laughs> <laughs> no, no. okay so we have again gotten off track in some philosophical conversation but <laughs> next question for yes. you and this one i'm very excited to learn the answer oh, to. okay mm-hmm. have you ever had a paranormal experience um i think so i think Ooh, so uh, i think i've had two okay. um so the first one I'm going to bring back up Pissy Miles, the drag queen. <laughs> <Yes>. uh, <laughs> we were college roommates, and we both shared this love of horror and, and spooky things. And so there were a lot of, if you've ever heard of Weird NJ, it was a magazine mm. that came out yeah. in the 90s and early 2000s. I think they still do it, too, but that was really the heyday of it. Um, and essentially, it was this these two guys who would go and find all these urban legend spots in New Jersey and mm. allegedly haunted areas and abandoned this and that. And, mm-hmm. and there was a very famous insane asylum that was in New Jersey that was listed in, in the magazine. So, of course, we went to check it out. And we went inside briefly. Um, nothing really happened inside. We didn't get too far. It was very dark. And frankly, we were more scared of encountering squatters. Yeah. So we left, but when we got back outside, we heard clear as day a woman screaming. Huh. And it was just, to, and there's nobody around, you know, it was completely vacant. Yeah. Um, but that was a very, very real, you know, thing yeah. that happened. And so whether that was paranormal or somebody trying right. to scare us away, uh, right. we don't know. So, but that was quite quite chilling yeah what did you do did you run away or did you just calmly we, like we kinda, acknowledge it? I, I think i think honestly what happened is we just started leaving and then when we got in the car that's when we acknowledged it yeah uh, it was like sort of after the fact um wow. I'm getting goosebumps even remembering the story but yeah that it, was a good it's one. good that you all heard it yeah right <laughs> yeah, yeah that's that's, that's yeah. very true yeah it's yeah. always that one thing when you know you're all separate at the time and then 
you, even if you all hear it individually, you all think that the other person's just fucking with them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. There's a podcast called Let's Not Me. I don't know if you've heard of it, but they, this guy reads stories like real horror stories and, and one of like people experiences people have had that have been upsetting. Right. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me so vividly of one because these, these friends like broke into an abandoned hospital or a sane asylum, something like that. And they ran into squatter and it was kind of like the story of what happened. And it's, it's Oof. real. Like that's a real fear when you're kind yeah. of urban exploring or exploring and, yeah. these abandoned places of, you know, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of elements to it. Okay. Yeah. And then what was your other, your other experience? Uh, I, well, there's kind of two of them. I'll tell you this one. This is when I was a kid. Um, my mother and I were, were driving home from, I think having dinner and it was a very foggy night and we were going down a road that, you know, we'd been driving down all my life, most of her life. And, mm-hmm. um, it was so foggy and the fog was kind of playing weird shapes across the road that she was driving very slow, uh, much slower than she normally would because it was such a familiar road for us. So we got uh, about you know two miles down and she slammed on the brakes because there was a kid walking his bicycle across the street. Okay. And luckily, because she had been going a bit slower due to the fog, mm-hmm. she was able to stop, you know, yeah. but otherwise she would have probably been going too fast. So... She waves the kid across and he walks and there was another kid behind him without a bicycle. And she's waving Mm -hmm. that kid across to try to get him to go and he won't go. So finally she just drives along and we, or I look back behind me and the kid with the bike is, is still there, but the other kid is no longer there. I have so many chills. chills. I got chills. And yeah. And I mean the fact that the other kid didn't even have a bicycle and you know, all that we, we looking back thought maybe this was a guardian spirit you know, mm-hmm. w- playing with the fog to get my mother to slow down and then making sure this kid didn't Whoa. get hit later on down oh, the road. Wow. So, Chills again. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. That was a really good, cool experience, you know, and, yeah. and sort of a positive ghost experience. Yeah. <laughs> Our friend Dan actually has a similar, it's like a pet cemetery story where he was, when he was a really little kid, he, like a baby, he ran in front of like an 18-wheeler and there was this huge like bright light sort of energy and he just survived like he Jesus. just missed the wheel or whatever and it's it's that kind of thing where it's like what happened in this moment yeah yeah, yeah damn. so i take it from all of all of this that you are a believer in the paranormal you know that that's something that it, it's it's an opinion i kind of have in the same way of my opinion of like a higher power is i mm. think there's things out there that are just simply beyond comprehension of our human minds and capabilities yeah. i i don't you know, I don't I don't necessarily believe in ghosts in the the sense that people write about ghosts, but I think maybe that's one thread to a bigger ball of yarn, perhaps. Um, I certainly respect whatever it is, and I know there are people who are a lot more sensitive to it and in tune with it, and I don't think they're necessarily wrong. I just I guess I'm kind of agnostic about it. I, I really yeah. cannot say either way. I'm just open to the fact that I don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. I love that. Yeah. Alan is a major skeptic and I'm a major believer. So oh, okay. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm right in the it's middle then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing those stories with yeah, us. Those, no were, those were great. Let us talk a little bit more about dark interior. So I know mm. we talked about it at the beginning a little, but there's so much to say. <laughs> so how did you originally get into ant- antiquity dealing? Yeah. I, I've always been into it. I my mm. it's particularly natural history. Um yeah. when I was young, uh my uncle lived on on a quite a bit of property and he would bring me back, you know, like stupid skulls you find in your backyard and, and like little chewed up raccoon skulls and things like that. And I thought they were just the greatest treasure you could have. So Aren't I, I they? Yeah. <laughs> so I collected things like that all my life. I, I was there was a nature center down my ha- down the street from my house growing up that I was at just about every day, just admiring mm. the birds that they had. I even volunteered there. Um, so I've always just had such an affinity of nature. And luckily, I lived in North New Jersey my whole life. Um, mm-hmm. So I was very fortunate to go to the Natural History Museum in New York all, just about every month. My mother would wow. take me. That's amazing. Um, it was great. It was such a, a wonderful, uh, I mean, it's made a huge impact on my adult life. And I remember particularly the African dioramas, the Akeley Gallery, and the Asian dioramas, the Asian animal dioramas, um, really had an impact. Just the the taxidermy, not just because you were seeing the animals, but it was this wonderful little artistic slice of a place that most likely 90% of the world will never see. 
you know, right. or a moment in time that nobody will ever see, you know, mm -hmm. and that always really turned me on. And I, I love, you know, the art from all these ancient cultures. And, and so all that really fed into it. And I, I've always been a collector by heart. I've, I've collected everything from Pokemon cards to magnets <laughs> to Star Wars figures, like you name it. If it was something to collect, I would hoard it in mass. So, you know, a few years down the line, I, I've always had that. But with theater, theater is a very tricky business because you essentially have to be ready to drop everything and leave for years you know yeah. and that happened to me I, I did a tour for on and off for about six years I was on the road with Phantom of the Opera and the, there was really no way to collect on the road you know because you're you're moving so much um, so kind of what I started doing was I'd find a thing here and there and I would sell it you know, just so I could yeah. <laughs> kind of have the high of collecting, but then pass it along. Um, and I, I'd keep a few things here and there and I'd like ship them back to my parents' house or something. But it, it kind of grew out of that. It kind of grew out of seeing that I, I had too much. So I would sell things to supplement kind of my, you know, like, like collecting more. You know, you, you get a whole mm -hmm. bunch of stuff and you maybe yeah. you want to keep one piece. So you right. sell everything else and it pays for that piece. And then you realize, You're oh, well, curating. I, yeah, yeah, more or less. But, you know, you start to realize that, oh, I can keep one piece and then still make a little bit of money. And then you're right. like, well, that's the best of both worlds. You know, you have your <laughs> cake and eat it too. So it, it kind of grew from there. Then I started Dark Interiors in 2018 and, and I started it more as like a Pinterest page on, mm -hmm. on Instagram. <laughs> I, I found inspirational uh, collections that I thought looked really beautiful and they were curated very well. And mm -hmm. so I started sharing those pictures kind of just to remember them for myself. And the right. page just exploded. I mean, I got thousands <laughs> of followers in like a month. Awesome. And I had been selling stuff on another Instagram account and that one was sort of slowly growing. So I was like, well, fuck that account. I'm just going to sell <laughs> everything here. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what happened. Um, but yeah, I, I've always... As I've matured in my hobby and in my collecting, I, I find now I'm more interested in the overall picture of a collection. Mm. Right. I, I'm, I'm less concerned with individual pieces and more what is the the overall look of this collection? Like, do you have oh, an item from... Yeah, and, and that's one style of collecting. You know, other people argue, well, you know, if you're a collector, you need every individual piece from a very certain line or, or sure. something like that. But I'm more of like a broad strokes guy. Like it, I need it to look good in mass for me to mm. really be satisfied with it. So in my own collection, I mean, we have everything from deformed human skulls to, you know, historic taxidermy to tribal art to, you know, you name it. So, right. and because I'm kind of, I think hearkening back to that natural history museum vibe that I was so inspired by, I want, a complete museum in my in my possession i guess mm, yeah. <laughs> as as you know super villain as that sounds <laughs> no, i love that so you yeah. said you know when you were kind of starting out you had this realization that you could keep one piece right and, yeah. and sell the rest and so when you especially at this point in dark interiors like what does the piece have to have at this mm. point to make you Ooh, keep it that's a great question and i think about it a lot um and the it, it the answer changes all the time. It 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 really has to be unique. But even more than being unique, it has to have like a certain character that I like. Um, yeah. You know, a good example is I, I I've come across particular artifacts that are rarer than maybe anything I even have in that category. But it's mm -hmm. just not the look I want. You know. Mm. So I'm like, well, then I'll I'll pass it on to somebody who I know will appreciate it. You know. Um. It's it's a very very good question, um, <laughs> and I, I I can't really answer it. In it's just so to do with aesthetic and 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 right. the the vibe that I get from it and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah. that's a shitty answer. But no, <laughs> no, it's, no. Not. It's, it's honest, and I think yeah. I feel if you knew the answer to the question, that would kind of pull away some of the mystique about the whole process. It <laughs> would. True. It absolutely would. And then there's also things like I'll get them and. This is honestly the toughest thing because I'll, I'll see something maybe in, in a listing online somewhere and or I'll see it in a friend's collection. I'll be like, well, mm -hmm. I need that. Like, I got to get this thing somehow <laughs> and I'll and I'll figure out a way to get it. And then I'll get it home and be like, oh, nah, it doesn't look the same way. It doesn't it doesn't spark right. that same thing that it did when I saw it in this other place, you know, and then I'll sell like I have a piece I'm looking at right now that. <laughs> I got it, and then I even got it refurbished, and I was really excited mm. about it. And now I sort of see it in my house, and I'm like, eh, it's it's not, it's just not doing it for me, you know. So mm. I'll 
probably down the line pass it on but that's kind of the fun of it in a way too is you're always yeah. seeing what's gonna fill that void essentially you know yeah yeah totally <laughs> yeah do you have so you got that piece refurbished do you have like go-to people who help you spruce things up oh yeah i've got a whole <laughs> list of different people with different specialties um who i've given so much of my money to over the years <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i've got people who design beautiful mounts for things i have people who are really you know, expert taxidermy restorers. I even know a, a guy who, if, if God forbid my shrunken head ever got damaged, they can restore that. Um, and it's, yeah. it's a weird little network of people because these are, as, <laughs> as you could understand, very, very specialized things like with historic right. taxidermy. The best? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, with, with something like historic taxidermy, you can't just go to, you know, Joe, Joe taxidermist down in right. Philadelphia. Yep. And, you know, it has to be somebody who understands how they were doing taxidermy in the late 1800s, you know, because mm -hmm. it would ruin it. Yeah. And so I, I have uh, George Dante is my go to for that. And he, he's a very, very world famous taxidermist who is one of the few experts left in the world who understands what these classic naturalists were doing like uh, mm. Van Ingen and Roland Ward and Carl mm. Akeley and them it's you know it's very very different than modern taxidermy so yeah yeah, yeah. I've, I've actually got to sit in on a couple taxidermy sessions oh, cool. um and it it what blew my mind was like you know because usually these are for you know, hunters or that sort of thing mm -hmm. and you know they have the not styrofoam but whatever the the, the yes. uh Whatever it's like a polyfoam mold or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's usually the same for most yeah. and for all animals. And you're basically just stretching skin over the same form. Oh, yeah. I never realized. That I guess weird? I never thought about what was inside. Yeah. Yeah. They get this like deer mold and they just yeah. stretch different skins over it. Right. Yeah. The, the only the, the difference with that is they do make different sizes of those poses and molds. Right. And they rough if, it in. Correct. And if you take if you get a really good taxidermist, usually those molds are kind of just a, a starting point mm. and they'll cut them up and modify them and, and they'll sculpt over them so that your piece truly looks like what you hunted, you know, um, Oh, well, yeah, the, like these that, guys yeah. were out in Montana, so they were just having to crank them out, you <laughs> know, like stretching a, like them a over factory. The, yeah. yeah, just yeah. as quick yeah. as you could. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> so after all of this time, like, what is the spark of it that keeps you interested in it, do you think? That's you another, know, I know, yeah. another lofty question. No, but th this one I think I have a, a slightly better answer for. We, so we live in a two-bedroom apartment that I, mm -hmm. I purchased about a year ago, um, and I, I bought it with, with the idea that, I'm an actor and I need to be close to New York City, which which is mm -hmm. true. And this is right in Jersey City. We're very close to New York. Uh, but, you know, then Laura moved in. And, and as time has progressed, Dark Interiors has really become a bigger enterprise right. than I thought it ever would. So that means that not only am I amassing my own collection to a new level, but we have to have this entire second collection that's all things to be sold. Right. And mm. with antiques, it's not... You know, you're not going on the Walmart wholesale site and, and you know, buying X amount of this. It's, it's if it's there and if it's available for the right price, you just got to get it. So there'll be days when, you know, maybe it's a handful of like small things. But then there are some days where I've got, you know, two giraffe skulls on their way and we just have to figure out a way to fit them in our house. Um, right. So that being said. We are, you know, hoping to move to a an actual home uh, in mm -hmm. the near future. And so kind of what's what's keeping my collecting bug uh, alive and well is picturing how I design my my collection rooms there right. and how I would cool. curate it and what I could possibly see living in that home with us. And, you know, funny enough, God bless my parents, 90% of their basement now is actually filled with another collection that I'm starting of things for that house. Awesome. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so we have some cool pieces down there, some beautiful antique display cases. Um, we have a gorgeous big tribal piece down there. And um, yeah, and, and things are always showing up. So it, that, that's kind of what's keeping me going is like my, my curator mind is like, ooh, the next place that I can design right. and, and create this museum in. So. Yeah. yeah, in a bigger place, I imagine it kind of lends itself to bigger pieces too, in a way. Right? Yeah, and that's certain. <laughs> there's, I've, we actually have a piece coming in that is one of the largest. It's without question the largest skull I've ever had, oh. um, and quite, quite a possibly the largest piece I've ever had as well. And that's on its way. 
Um, I don't want to give I'm too much so away. I'm just so curious. Yeah. What could be larger than a giraffe skull? Well, you're going to... Oh, there's there's several other animals. animals. Several okay, other okay. large... We'll keep our eye on the yes. account. I will give you a small hint. I will say it's a it's an extinct animal. It's a prehistoric animal. Oh, cool. Yeah, those were big. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. Very, very, very big. Uh, incredible beast. Um, and I will give you one more hint is it's <laughs> it's coming to me by way of Siberia. So ah. it's not, not coming to me directly from there. It has one stop to right. get some refurbished work done and then it's going to head to us. So that's the only the only little hint I will give you. <laughs> very cool. Yeah. 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 And uh, there was one auction you had, I don't know, months ago now at this point, probably. Mm. But I don't remember the exact name of the thing, but it was, I think, a prehistoric like fossil of like or or um big bear hand yes you know what i'm talking about a cave bear and i remember i actually texted alan because i looked up i was like what the hell is a cave bear (laughs) and i was like do you know alan do you know about cave bears like some of the stuff that comes through (laughs) a is prehistoric which blows my mind that you can just own that and also like how old and huge these animals were it's really fascinating i learned a lot watching the oh good and uh, that's something i'm trying to tie into it more too is, is the educational aspect of it i mean you can only get so much you know stuck into these auctions before people kind of tune out but but yeah it it is i've noticed that and somebody actually commented that uh, yesterday too in the auction they said oh i feel like it's like a little history lesson every time i join i'm like great i hope that uh i hope that we can educate a bit too and here yeah. I was sitting here being like, how can you not know about cave bears? <laughs> I mean, come on. I know. He was like, yeah, what's your question? I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. we love that. Yeah, like our the whole lens of this podcast is the history of horror. And, mm-hmm. you know, to me, the history of of everything is just so rich and interesting and in how we got, like we take, I think, especially with probably both of our fields, like, you take so much for granted, you know, you're just like, yeah, I know, you know, it's an antique bottle, but like, what's the history of that bottle? What did that bottle do? You know, all of that is so meaningful to revisit. Absolutely. And that's what people are really interested in is, is, you know, it's not necessarily the object all the time. It's more the story that it tells, Um, especially with things like ephemera and, and books and paper and things like that. It's really who owned this? Why did they own it? Why was this thing special? You know, you know, you see that with the, with the beautiful Victorian hair art, especially, Mm -hmm. um, why did somebody take so much time to make this? And that to me is a huge selling aspect as as a dealer, but also, you know, obviously something to, to appreciate as somebody who loves the history of this stuff. So without giving away any spoilers about this big skull that, or big item that's on your way, on (laughs) its way, but Besides that, are there any like unicorn items as a collector that it's like you would drool over, but it's so hard to get your hands on? You know, I, this is going to be very cocky, but I've <laughs> I've kind of found all my holy grails at this point oh, in my wow. collecting adventure. I, I no have, way. I've at least owned them uh, at some point. There are now now I'm at the stage where I'm kind of collecting things to accent other pieces if that makes sense but uh-huh. um but yeah i've had kind of everything i i've ever dreamed of owning i have owned now which is a very cool place to be um but you know there's always things like uh, i'm definitely in the market for quote unquote but that i wouldn't say that they are you know like the end all be all of, of my collection like i would love to at some point own an egyptian mummy head i think that'd be great um uh, or, you know, maybe more tribal-related skulls or things like that. But again, I, I have those things. I, I don't have a mummy head right now, but I've, I have a mummy hand. <laughs> <laughs> and I've had similar things that, that I, I, I understand that now. I, I know the feeling I get from that. And, you know, yeah. I, I would most likely sell them if I got them anyway. It would be mm. more just to see if, does this really speak to me the way I was hoping it would? And like like I sort of mentioned before, but yeah that's the nature of collecting it's a very strange world and and like there are some pieces that are very run-of-the-mill that i would never get rid of like that are just so profoundly special to me and then there are others that i I sold a piece last month that i think it's probably the only one literally in the world and i i had it and i was like "Eh, you know like it's cool but it's just not it's just not for me you know it's not it doesn't Hmm. belong in my collection so i sold it and it's just a strange very individual journey as a collector and a and a dealer but yeah but super fun yeah what are some of your holy holy grail items that you've acquired uh shrunken head is definitely a big one i have a beautiful shrunken head that we is has become sort of a celebrity in her own right in the (laughs) in the dark interiors community and she's named mimi 
um, a beautiful. We are very familiar with Mimi. Oh, are you? <laughs> Good. Yeah, we we have T-shirts with her on them now, and and stickers. Oh, yeah. So if you go to darkinteriors.com, you can get a Mimi uh, sweatshirt or T-shirt. But yeah, she's a beautiful head, 1930s. She was collected in Ecuador, then uh, lived in somebody's safe box um, for a bajillion years. And then when that person <laughs> passed away, the family kind of found it and wanted nothing to do with it. <laughs> so yeah, so a dealer friend of mine found it and uh, and offered it to me. Yeah, geez, so some people. Yeah, right? What are you thinking? So that's, <laughs> that's one item. I, I have um, some very special historic taxidermy in my collection. I have uh, an Egyptian mummy hand, which I, I briefly mentioned. Mm-hmm. That's definitely up there. Um, I have a Peruvian elongated skull, which is actually, you can sort of see it right over my shoulder there. Yeah. Um, that's a huge grail item for a lot of collectors. Um, and for those of you listening who are unfamiliar, the ancient Peruvians would bind the heads of their young people um, to essentially elongate the skull. And it's still a mystery to this day as to why they did that. There are theories that they yeah. were trying to mimic gods or be closer to gods. And kind of the, one of the more fantastical theories is they were trying to mimic uh, ancient alien visitors. Whoa. Uh, yeah, Ooh. so that's that's <laughs> what makes that. It tells a great story, and it's a very cool-looking piece. Um, yeah. I have a really special, very important shield, uh, an, an antique or late 1800s shield from uh, Borneo, from the Dayak tribe. Uh, it's actually right here. You can see it. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. And yeah. It's, it's adorned with uh, human hair from headhunted victims. Whoa. So on the front of the shield, there's there's all these locks of hair as well as a painted demon face. And that's meant to be shown to the enemy tribe. But then mm-hmm. behind the shield where the warrior would be holding it is a picture of a god who inspires courage and bravery. So the mm. warrior is looking at the courage god yeah. while the enemy is looking at the hair of the slain victims, you know, that they're about that's to join. So I, that's, that's a definitely a huge cornerstone piece for us. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think offhand. I have a beautiful Naga Nagaland skull uh, from Nagaland, India, uh, tribal mm-hmm. skull adorned with buffalo horns. That's a big favorite that everybody loves. Um, I've got some really wonderful Victorian hair art. I mean, I could you just got to stop yeah. me because I could just go on and on and on. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the different takes on hair. You have one that's a shield to scare people, and another's like, here, look at our family. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. human remains in general. Um, it's particularly in tri- in tribal cultures, you see a lot of heads were either taken as as an enemy, and you're trying to capture the enemy's soul, or they're uh, an ancestor, and you're trying to honor them and and right. gain their wisdom and have them in the in the family home. You know, so remains throughout history have always been, you know, it's just such a fascinating culture of superstition, and and I mean, even in modern Western culture, I mean. The, the process of a funeral and burial is is really absurd if you if you look at it you know right. but again it's the treatment of human remains is a mm. fascinating thing i think yeah yeah totally totally i i, I remember on one of uh a, a shoot years ago um when we were filming with uh one of these oddities collectors mm. uh, i was looking which which turned into be you know a victorian hair art but it was just a whole bunch of these different uh, old-timey uh, portraits of people. And the, the border of the whole piece was just so intricate with this. I had no idea what it was. It was just this very fine something. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the curator comes over because I was asking about the piece. And like, oh, yeah, that's the hair of every single person in the photo. And I was like, that's a really cool tradition. Mm-hmm. They, they, they really should bring that back. Yeah. <laughs> you think so? Th- yeah. There are some artists who still do it, but obviously it's not not as popular as it once was <laughs> yeah I, I thought it was so neat and every time i tell the story people are like that's fucked up yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know why the stigma of of that kind of grosses people out i don't we take a lot of care of our hair you know in the in the states but yeah i don't know i don't know you know i think it's amazing i think it's beautiful yeah it's interesting my mom is actually really into ancestry and so she's done a lot of like within the family collecting old photos and you know i actually through that discovered a bunch of like victorian era tarot cards that my great great grandmother had which is amazing because i'm super into tarot you know and so there's been like a lot of cool moments but if you ever want to sell them please do let (laughs) me know (laughs) Um, get a good deal (laughs) but um one thing she finds all the time are just like locks of hair tucked into things and it was a thing people did it was just like you know in the bible in in these photo albums like just locks of hair tucked in you know keepsakes and and and, you know and and essentially they were forget-me-nots and Mm -hmm. uh it was a way of 
in the days where where photography was not as easy as taking out your phone, you know, this was this is one of the few ways they had a little little remembrance of the person in life or death. And that's sort of a misconception with the hair art, too, is people think it immediately means it's a memento mori to, to honor right. a dead person. And 90 percent of the oh, I shouldn't say 90, but I'd say maybe 60 percent of the time. It was just a loved one who they don't yeah. get to see that much. And so it's like, oh, yeah, you know, Sally from uh, from Westchester or whatever. <laughs> you know, she's in my little Bible here and I get to think <laughs> about her. Yeah. yeah. We've talked a lot about dark items, you know, yeah. ritual items, things like this. Is there anything that's too dark for dark interiors where you would say, oh, that that's evil or, or like I'm just not interested. That's too yeah. negative for um, this. I, I wouldn't say that they're necessarily too too evil or negative for me but i don't i don't get into the serial killer stuff mm, the murderbilia yeah, yeah. um i know there's a huge huge market for it and no hate or shame to the people who are into it it's just not my thing i don't personally see how that's uh, like aesthetically pleasing you know like mm -hmm. the gacy paintings and stuff yeah. like he was a <laughs> shit artist like those paintings <laughs> look like shit <laughs> even if you're a toddler like that is shitty artwork you know and there's yeah, like no yeah. way to really validate that for me like okay so he killed kids and he made this painting like right it's just not for me and i mean i know i'm sounding like i'm shitting all over these collectors and i i i just don't care for it you know like mm -hmm. you have every right to collect it it's completely legal to do so and that's fine it's just i don't i don't really see the the thing about getting serial totally. killer stuff um the other thing we, we typically don't do would be a lot of wet specimens, uh, human or animal, not because I think they're wrong or, or horrible or anything like that. It's just not not what we're really known for. Um, and they're tricky to ship and they're kind of a whole process to, to keep them preserved and all that stuff. So hmm. and um, that's like for people who don't know, like like skulls in jars of water, that kind of a thing. Or it wouldn't be water. No, it, but like it would, Well, it would be more like like organs in, in vials right. of, of, of alcohol right. uh, from yeah. aldehyde or what have you. Um, yeah. So that that's kind of what we stay away from. And I, I've brokered deals with serial killer artwork before. I've, I've found <laughs> buyers for certain people, but right. um, but I've not ever actually had any pass through my hands um yeah have you okay so i know you're not necessarily a bot totally bought into to the paranormal but have you ever had a piece in your collection that you felt had some kind of energy to it yes we've had a few actually um oh yeah and that that is definitely the number one question we get asked is uh, yeah. is anything haunted um even funny enough some some buyers will be like oh i'm interested in any haunted items you have and i'm like <laughs> okay here you want this pencil like <laughs> you know? um we had we've had three main items that were you know quote unquote haunted the first of which was a doll that i found somewhere in the u.s i can't remember where it was now but it was an old uh chinese wooden doll like a puppet mm -hmm. kind of looking thing and it always had a weird sort of presence to it, but almost any weird old doll has a presence to it. So I didn't think much of it, but I had it in a stand on a cabinet. And I remember I was cleaning something on that cabinet and the doll that was literally clamped into a stand jumped out and hit me in the chest and then fell to the floor. Whoa. So that was pretty wild. Yeah. Um, and we ended oh, up shit. selling that and the buyer who got it and I sold it as a haunted item. I said, you know, yeah. and the buyer who got it was murdered. Yeah, well, I mean, he, he had a very oh, no. strange turn of events uh, where he almost did die. Oh, and no. so they buried the doll in their backyard and then, then all that kind of stuff went away. But essentially wow. what happened was he, he had had a BB gun and he accidentally shot himself in the head with the like one oh, of these in, intense BB guns, you know, and yeah. the bullet got or the little thing got lodged in his skull um and he sort of blames it on this doll so that was wow. one item we had uh we also had a this was crazy we got a box of ephemera relating to a string of accidents that killed a whole bunch of people that were all um a part of this cult called the mary's house of david if you remember that one yeah. um i think in the early 1900s it was this sort of fanatical religious group and for whatever reason, during this time, like several of their members got in car crashes and died in these really horrible ways. Mm. And so we managed to get a box of mementos from that. So there were like newspaper clippings, there were funeral registrars, there were photos of the dead. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the box itself was owned by one of the mothers of these children. So she had collected yeah. all this stuff. Um, that had a crazy presence to it. And we ended up auctioning that. And I remember yeah. during the auction for it, I was sweating like a whore in church. Like I was <laughs> soaked in sweat. Um, and I just wanted this thing to go, you know? So, yeah. so yeah. we, that's, I don't know how that's doing now. I haven't heard from the, uh, from the buyer. <laughs> okay. So hopefully they're okay. Yeah. Um, Usually so I say no news is good one. news, but maybe yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> but and then we had one other that um, was a puppet that was assen- allegedly um, uh, haunted by a child's uh, spirit that was part of a collection of I think eleven different dolls and puppets. And out of all the eleven, this one was the only one deemed paranormal. Um, mm. And we also, you know, just so just so everybody knows, I would never sell an item and just claim it's haunted if I didn't have. Yeah. <laughs> you know, essentially validation for it. And what we do is we will only uh, sell an item as being haunted if a a registered paranormal group researches it and deems it so. So we've had. Whoa. Yeah. And, and I have a friend of mine who r- runs the Creeper Gallery in uh, mm. New Hope, Pennsylvania, and she's very close with New Jersey Paranormal. And so they have personally investigated any piece that she gets or that we get that is deemed haunted. It, it will get assured through them before we, you know, claim, right. it, cool. claim it as such. I, I, I never realized that there's paranormal authenticity agencies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can you can find anything on the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have yeah. you ever been to, in Asbury Park, there's a paranormal museum? Have you uh, Yes, there? I have. And I going have back well. to Pissy Miles, uh, <laughs> my drag queen friend, she's she got her start in Asbury Park and was very close with the owner of that museum. So they've actually done fundraisers together. Oh, um, cool. I, I unfortunately was not able to do the museum itself, but I went in and mm-hmm. spoke to the folks yeah. who run it Um I think I was trying to sell them something, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I gotta I gotta give it a proper uh, a proper visit. One it's day. very impressive. As someone who's been to a lot of paranormal <laughs> type museums, it's first of all it has like hundreds of Ouija boards, and people just mm-hmm. drop them off, and they're like, "We can't deal with this," like yeah. you, you know. Yeah. But the one item that really stood out again, there's many. There's there's a couch that is like a singing couch that they they play you these videos of like the audio you know there's mm. there's a lot of like proof incorporated into this museum but mm. one of the crazy things is this um kind of like cauldron item and it was used in like santeria rituals oh wow um and they got it i think through like a police a police officer who confiscated it in some kind of situation but there's like a heaviness to that space and i don't know i've not had like a ton of of uh paranormal things happen to me but that place has a vibe to it yeah. you should definitely check it out yeah that's always the funny thing with you know I, I i haven't been to that one but when i was in new orleans i went to one of the the voodoo museums down there that's one of the more legitimate ones that has working altars and everybody who works there is a practitioner etc and you know there's certainly a heaviness to it there there like you said there's a presence to it and i always wonder is there a presence to it because I'm going in there with mm. that expectation, you know, and and so yeah. I would love sort of like a blind test of that, or, or like a placebo or something, you know, or somebody yeah. tells you like this is a haunted whatever, and then you handle it, and <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it's just something to. I, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a, a hardcore skeptic. I just you know I want it so badly to be real and true that, yeah. you know. <laughs> But isn't it more fun that way? Like, isn't it more fun to live in a world where you think these things exist? Yeah, I will absolutely. I mean, I, I that's one thing I'm always going to harp on about is is I I really want to live in a world where not knowing is perfectly acceptable and okay, you know, and, and with everything, with religion, with everything. So I would love to yeah. embrace this culture of can't we just be open to things and can't we just not be sure for once in our fucking stupid lives? <laughs> you know, we don't have to have answers for everything that happens. Like look at nature, look at the cycles of nature, look at evolution. Like that's enough proof of, of God for me that, that, you know, or of whatever of, of a higher existence. Does it look like us in the clouds? I fucking hope not, but you know, but like it's something incredible is at work and, and why can't we just accept that we're, we're we don't have all the answers and we probably never will. So yeah. just fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that. I like that a lot. Yeah. So you mentioned a few times about, you know, which I guess before, maybe before COVID was your main, your main hustle and is now maybe flipped a little, but you are an actor. Yes. 
Yeah. Um, and are you mostly stage? Yeah, pretty much exclusively stage. Uh, I, I've been acting professionally now for 10 years. Um, I went to school for it, musical theater, and I, I'm a classically trained bass singer. Cool. Um, yeah, that, that's always been my main gig. Um, as far as income, which uh, yeah. is is sad because you don't you don't make much as a stage actor, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was uh, that's always been my my main thing. I've I've done I guess what you might know me for is I, I did Phantom of the Opera for a long time on the tour on and off. Um, I did a big show in New York called Octet quite recently mm. that was a big smash hit um, that we will hopefully be doing again once COVID Yay. chills out. Yeah, in California. And then beyond, Um, and I did I did a show on Broadway called In Transit for a little while, but that that didn't last too long. Um, Wasn't very good. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Being Um, good usually helps. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So yeah, I did that. I did a lot of voiceover. I did a little bit of TV, but TV was never something I was overwhelmingly Mm -hmm. passionate about. Um, But yeah, about what's it about theater that you're passionate about? Um, I, I, frankly, I think it's kind of the relationships. I, I loved theater growing up because it was this one place where kind of anybody could be cool as long as mm. you were uh, fun, you know, like yeah, yeah. you didn't have to be a, a jock or anything. And, you know, which is why a lot of people I think get into theater is that sort of where the misfits come and, and reign supreme. Right. And that was certainly my experience with it. You know, I was sort of like king of the misfits and, uh, it just was so fun for me to, to be in this kind of community and I had a knack for it, you know, so I, I developed that and I honed my skills with that. And, and um, yeah, through college really helped. And mm-hmm. theater, once once you become a professional actor, theater becomes kind of like just a game of like who can outlast the other person. It, yeah. It's just it, it's really that simple. Like if you if you're OK putting up with that much rejection for that many years until finally like enough people kind of know you that it's not quite as much of that hustle you know, that's kind right. of it. Um, but there yeah. are Tony award winning actors who I know who have had to take jobs at Macy's after right. they win their Tony award. You know, it's just that kind of gig. It's, it's much different than TV and film because yeah. you're yeah. always climbing that ladder. It's, it's never, you never kind of get there in a sense, but you know. yeah, but I kind of like that about it. It's, it's again, it's kind of like that collector mentality. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's fun. Keep pushing yourself. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, it was one of the times uh, before I was terribly familiar with Dark Interiors that Abby was just watching your auction, and I just heard your voice and like, oh, we gotta, we gotta get this guy. He's so good. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Yeah, you do have a good voice, I'll say, for both the auctions and I'm sure for theater. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I did a lot of voiceover back in the day too. Not as much anymore, but you probably heard me at some point on your on your radio or TV <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. One thing I, I do like to always mention is collecting and, and this kind of world is I, I don't like it to be this sort of exclusive thing for people who have a ton of disposable income. Like I, I think yeah. anybody can appreciate this and be a collector and there's always entry level with anything. But again, it's sort of the same thing that I did is like you kind of trade your way up. You know, right. I'm not I'm not like some secret millionaire or anything. It's just <laughs> I've been doing this for so many years that you you know, you, you learn who is going to buy what, and you learn how to get something to upgrade to something else. And, um, cause I, I know a lot of people always say like, I don't understand like what you guys do to make this kind of money. Like, I don't either, you know, it's not about that. It's, it's, (laughs) it's more, that's the fun of the, of the hobby. Um, yeah. So that's just something I like to mention is, is, you know, it's not an elitist thing and it, it shouldn't. And if anybody makes you feel that way, like then they're not, not doing it right because that's it should never make anybody feel not welcome let's put it that way yeah yeah and one thing actually i would like to mention we did you may have remembered but we did a mystery unboxing um a few episodes ago which was a mystery box from dark interiors and i think this ties in well with what you're just saying because for me like mystery boxes are my thing in general Mm. and so to find one that's full of like oddities and bones is like wow this was made for me so that's like my favorite part of of the auctions is just seeing the boxes themselves are so beautiful that Mm. you find um and how it works is you know the bidding gets how to however much amount and then you fill them right to to match that to match that Um, yeah but one thing too as like you know that's again not a barrier for entry 
is you also offer these mystery boxes kind of like outside of the auctions and you can just someone can dm you with their budget absolutely. so again it doesn't need to be like a bidding war all the time absolutely you know if you have like 50 bucks or whatever you could still get totally. yourself a piece yeah. of this you know I mean, yeah and that's absolutely what i would tell anybody is i'd recommend you maybe throwing 50 bucks into it and i will you know usually i'll give you more than that's worth anyway right. but yeah and that's a great way to start a collection or to at least see if you're even interested in starting a collection but yeah um i and that was actually something laura and i you know we love doing these auctions and trust me i love when when the bidding goes high but <laughs> i do still want them to be accessible so right. i think the mystery boxes are a good way for anybody to have a shot and i think you know maybe in the future what i would like to do is even start some of them really really low like dollars you know um right and and see but uh but i think that's something that is important in in the dealer community that i think sometimes folks forget is is we got to bring new blood into the hobby you know that's what right. keeps everybody going and that's the fun of it is you do get a good deal now and then that's i mean that's how i started so mm. yeah it's important yeah. to to do that, I mean, I for, for nothing else, no matter what it ends up going for, no matter what you get, you're guaranteed to walk away with a great conversation piece. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because, yeah. I mean, the box themselves, like you said, I, I, I try to choose. That was, you know, something I think that sets our mystery boxes apart from other people's is we, we choose these beautiful antique yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. in vintage boxes so no matter what you know you at least get a gorgeous box <laughs> yeah, yeah i have i've had so many people reach out <laughs> after and they're like where do you keep that box is that in your bedroom like that shouldn't be in your bedroom i'm like no it's fine don't worry about it it's good it's good awesome well adam we can't thank you enough for for everything for opening our eyes <laughs> to oddities and curiosities <laughs> but also to being a guest on our podcast it's been so fun to talk oh, to you. it was a pleasure thanks for thanks for thinking of me thanks for having me me on so follow dark interiors dark dot interiors on yep. instagram and yep. check out their website darkinteriors.com. make sure you join the newsletter because there's going to be some exciting exciting new things coming for those of you who subscribe and tune in every sunday at 8 p.m for the live auctions but also honestly check out the feed that's how i found the book for alan adam you post stuff obviously outside of the auctions for I sale do. as yes, well yes. um and one exciting thing i don't know i'm a sticker nerd so i love all all stickers that creators make but adam has some pretty cool stickers and merch based off of some of the really awesome and unique pieces in his collection so you, your sticker game is very strong your sticker game is Thank strong you. yes yes <laughs> so go to darkinteriors.com to check out all of that um, and Adam, thank you again so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. I really appreciate it. Welcome back. The tape has rolled, so to speak. We've finished rolling the tape. So we just wanted to come back to let you guys know that Adam and his girlfriend, Laura, who are both actors, theatrical actors, Adam also is an incredibly talented voice actor and so they were very generous and recorded some short stories for us act voice acted some short stories for us for some upcoming episodes so keep your eyes out for that in february keep, keep your ears out keep your ears out yes because it was awesome i think both of the both of their readings gave alan and i chills so we're really excited to share that with you too yeah and these stories come from two very different writers you and me Yep. Uh, with very different writing styles and still having a go through these two incredibly talented voice actors made the stories diverge into something completely different that we loved so wholeheartedly. Yeah, absolutely. But we can't talk about it because it's not released yet. Yeah. So anyway, you'll, you'll get to experience those later this month, but we just wanted to make sure that you knew they were coming. But yeah, not a big deal. It might just be the greatest thing we've ever put out there. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate it. We had so much fun talking to Adam. You can follow us on Instagram at The Lunatics Project. If you are interested in writing or voice acting for us, you can reach out to filmsaboutlunatics at gmail.com. And, of course, you can visit thelunaticsproject.com for all of our latest episodes and news. Oh, and I just want to re-emphasize re yes. that all of these things are still doing being done completely remotely. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, all, we are, you know, shipping out podcast mobile kits. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We're doing, we're still conducting these things over Zoom. Uh, a lot of technical prowess has had to go into 
making these things possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's actually helped us expand our creativity in like what's possible. Totally. And it's in all, all this is to say that there's a lot of new and really fun things just on the horizon for everybody. Yeah, that's great. And just actually, I just remembered this. March 1st is the deadline for submissions for the spring issue of Lunatics Magazine. The theme is duality and opposites. Lunatics Magazine is like a indie horror art and storytelling magazine that we put out with our friend Emily of Personal Space Press. We just love to feature cool artists doing cool things. And it's one of the perks if you're a Patreon that you automatically get the magazine. But If you are an artist, a visual artist, a fine artist, a photographer, an illustrator, anything that can be printed, anything that can be photographed or printed, and you would like to submit something under the theme of duality, you can email me at filmsaboutlunatics at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at The Lunatics Project, and we would love to feature your work. Well, thank you guys so much again. We really appreciate you being here. We had a blast for this episode, and we will see you all next time. Yeah, and if you guys know of other people that have really spooky cool lives and they're willing to talk to us we want to talk to them and stay safe we are in new york city and we're hunkering down for a big snowstorm right now so if you are in the area as well please stay safe and stay warm we'll talk to you next time oh bye bye (laughs) thanks for listening if you'd like some bonus content Consider supporting us on Patreon to access our patron-exclusive podcast, Horror Movie Club. Also head to lunaticsproject.com to check out our spooky merch and apparel. You can find us at Lunatics Project on Twitter and TikTok, and The Lunatics Project on Instagram and YouTube, where you'll find our short horror films, cemetery tours, and so much more. And please rate and review. A little feedback goes a long way to help us grow and get more content out there. Our cover art is by Pilar Kep, and musical bumpers are by Michaela Papa and Jordan Moser.